Welcome to the Like Dragons Did They Fight podcast series. Thank you so much for being here. I am appreciative that you would take your time to be here and hear about the resources that are available here at Life Changing Services. And tonight I'm so excited because we have uh, something we don't have very much of in our podcast series, and I'm so grateful. Stan is a dad. He's a father to one of our noble Sons of Healman Warriors, and I'm just so grateful that he would share his uh, experience and his story with us from a father's perspective. That will be so helpful, and really, Stan, to get started, could could you just tell us a little bit about, yeah, where do you live? Tell us what you love to do. Uh, what kind of, what does your family look like? How amazing is your wife? I know how amazing she is because I know her, but yeah, tell us all about that. Uh, okay, first of all, we live in the southern United States, uh, deep south, close to the Gulf of Mexico. It's a great place to be. Um, and uh, it's an interesting area because it's wrong in lots of different people, not just in people who might be members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but lots of other uh, churches as well. And we consider that a big blessing where we live. Um, our family, uh, of course, you know Christy. Uh, she, she and I are married, and uh, she's the strongest and best part of our family. Um, and we have five sons. Uh, we have Joseph, Chase, Blake, Brandon, and Jonathan. And um, what do I like to do is, uh, my children would say he likes to work <laughs> and, and maybe that's true. I do. I do like work, my work. I'm, I'm a computer person for a living. I'm an IT manager. Um, but what I really like to do is spend time with my family. And uh, I'm not just saying that because it's the right answer. It's because it's a true answer. If I could choose anything to do, I'd disappear to the beach for a week with my family or disappear to the mountains for a week with my family or something like that. So I guess that's what I like to do is spend time, some time with my family, but I, I like other things. So. I like to uh, I like to spend time with my wife in particular with Christy. I like to um, uh, I like to go outside and work in the yard and uh, do things there. Um, and you know you know some sports are always fun. Throw a little bit of that in. So I think I'm a I think I'm a fairly normal fifty year old person. <laughs> but anyway, I think most dads probably like to spend time with their family outside doing things. Yeah, that's awesome. And. Uh, tell me, what is it that makes you think, oh, sure, I'll participate in a podcast? Um, yeah, what, what is it that makes you feel like, uh, I have something to share, or why that's important to you? I love, I love kids, and I love young adults, and I love working with youth and young adults. Um, I say I love kids. I, I do. I like, I like children and youth of all ages. But for whatever reason that Heavenly Father sees fit, um, I have spent much of my years, adult years, I guess, post-missionary years. And as our youth in our home have gotten older, we've had a lot of young adults in the house because the, the youth just grow up to become big youth and they still want to come over and hang out. And that's great. And then some more come to town because they come to college or whatever. And, and so they all come here and hang out. So our home's always full of youth or young adults and kind of always has been. And I see... I've had a lot of really good opportunities in my life to have mentors that were my mentors. And that started from a young age, as far back as I can remember, even till the current present day, I still have people I consider my mentors and they give you a lot. 
Um, it's these little things along the way, these little pearls of wisdom, these little things they do that help you understand how to fight the fight better, how to win the battles better, how to see if you're winning the war, and just all those things in life. And what I hope is along the way is we have youth at our home or we have young adults here as we sit down together and maybe we read the scriptures together when they happen to be in our home or we just sit down to eat together and I start asking questions about, well, so what are you doing with your life or where are you going or what are you doing in school? I hope that opportunities come along that I can help mentor somebody else along the way and that Christy and I can do that together with people. And your podcast is about some really difficult things people go through in life and the, the things that you and Christy both work on to me are some of the toughest battles and fights that anybody will ever fight in their life. A lot of these people in that 10 to 15 to 20 year span between young teens and about early thirties, which is a really tough time in life anyway, to get through and navigate successfully. And so if you're doing a podcast where maybe we can share a little bit of something that'll make a difference in somebody's life today, in one of those battles or even in that bigger war, then I'm in. Let's do it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Back in the day when you, you mentioned you had mentors, can you think of one that stands out to you and what they did for you? Sure. There's a lot, but I'm going to give you one. And this was one particular mentor, and he was my scoutmaster. And probably my ironic priesthood leader as well, but I remember him as being my scoutmaster mostly. And he was my scoutmaster probably the whole time I was a scout, most of the time I was a scout. And I was in a, uh, a presidency of my class. I think I was the president, and I had a couple of counselors, and they were good friends of mine. They were 12, I was 13. And this mentor, his name is Brother McKinnis, um, Bud McKinnis, this mentor said he would like to invite us on a camping trip just for the presidency and for him and for our bishop. Our bishop was a man named Lonnie Trussell. And, um, and so we said, okay, great. And our parents said, great. And we went on this camping trip. And uh, he, he, he said, you don't have to take care of food on this trip. You don't have to set up your tent. All the stuff we were used to doing, we didn't have to do any of it. He said, I'm taking care of every bit of it. And he took us on this trip. And, um, he trained us as a presidency on that trip, and so did our bishop, the two of them working in tandem. They sat with us around a campfire and trained us. They fed us good food. We slept the best I've ever slept on the camping trip, probably because the food was so good and everything else. But at any rate, um, as we were together the next morning and we were doing whatever, to fishing or whatever, and he got us all back around to kind of finalize the day, he looked at us and he said, I want to let you know something, young man. He said, for the rest of your life, you can watch me and you can watch the bishop here and anything you see us do in your entire life, you can assume that's okay for you to do. And it just struck me when he said that I'm this 13 year old kid and it just hit me so hard. I thought, wow, that's a long time. And for somebody that I can look to for the rest of my life and I can do anything I see him do and know it's an okay thing to do. That's a big deal. And so that, I think that's as far back as I remember. Uh, I'll give you the fast forward to many years later when I was an executive secretary in a bishopric. And um, Bud McKinnis was a high counselor, and he happened to be the person assigned to our ward. And he was responsible for coming. For anybody not listening, listen to the podcast that doesn't understand what that means, he was 
I was in, I was a secretary for a church congregation and, and he was assigned from kind of a regional level to come and check on us and make sure we were doing okay in the congregation all the time. And he pulled me aside one day and said, you know, I visit with everybody. I don't want to visit with you. Can we sit down and visit for a minute? I said, sure. I mean, it's Brother McKinnis. What are you going to say, right? <laughs> and he sat there and he looked at me and he asked me a lot of questions about how I was doing. And he looked at me and he said, how's your relationship with Christy? And I said, well, I think it's great. He said, when was the last time you took her on a date? And I hesitated. And he said, let me ask the question a different way. Are you taking her out on a date every week? And I hesitated. And he looked at me, he got a little closer to me, and he kind of got in my face. He said, Stan? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you know how to fix that problem? I said, yes, sir. He said, will you do that immediately? I said, yes, sir, I will. And so, you know, years later, it was decades later, and here he is still being my mentor, you know, all the way from back. So anyway, that's, that's just a, I could give you a hundred examples, but that's just a really good one. Uh, you know, and it makes me think of um, just the ability to be bold in the service that we do and the ministering that we do, right? It's such a kind of a, a key word nowadays in since President Nelson has changed from home teaching and visiting teaching to ministering, but just that mentoring, the word I'm a mentor, but the boldness um, that it takes to just say, I just, I just want to be helpful to somebody. And I have the courage or the testimony or the drive to, to go ahead and say it. It's a big deal. Really big deal. Uh, tell me just a little bit about your family. Like, was, was your relationship with your dad also pretty great? And your mom? And they were great at mentoring and helping you out? Or did you really need other mentors in your life? No, I mean, I, mean I, I think everybody needs other mentors outside their own parents. That's, that's a good given thing. Fortunately, I was blessed with very good parents, um, both of them teachers. My father's a professor. My mother was a, a college instructor as well. Um, and, you know, we all have our strengths. We all have our weaknesses in life, and we could all go through all those different things. But I think that the uh, – I mean, I had a mother who, when I was growing up in school, if there was a project to be done, she was sitting next to me. Long after I had fallen asleep with my head on the table, she's still sitting there working on my project with me. And, you know, and, and, and my dad was always, you know, involved in what we were doing at, uh, at church and making sure that we were, you know, going on the scout things. I'm an Eagle Scout. I have four sons that are Eagle Scouts and one who's about to be an Eagle Scout. I have two brothers that are Eagle Scouts. My dad was an Eagle Scout. I think you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so at any rate, my father and mother did not join our church until I was about seven. In fact, I turned seven a week after they joined our church. And so, uh, so that was a new thing that they brought to me in my life um, that, that was new to them and uh, that was important to them. And so, you know, from that standpoint, that was a, that was a big mentor moment uh, in, our, in our life and obviously a huge change. That, that change brought with it an additional brother and sister later that never would have come along, but had been for the influence of the church. And they decided that that their eternal family wasn't quite complete yet. And so, so I got another brother who's 10 years younger than me and a sister who's 13 years younger than me that came along, you know, after my brother and I were already a little, a little bigger, you know? So, but yeah, that they, they're, and we're all close today. I mean, my parents are, my dad will be 81 next month. My mom will be 79 next month. And, um, you know, we all, we all love each other and we're, you know, we're not, we live across the country from each other a lot of times, but, but we still talk regularly, text incessantly, 
And um, always sending out some sort of a message every week on Sunday, send something to us, telling us to, you know, that basically it's a positive thing about, you know, happy Sunday or happy state conference day or happy this or happy that, you know, type of thing. That's excellent. That actually sounds almost to the, to the word, the way that my parents send their text on Sunday. It's really? Happy, yeah. <laughs> it's a happy, happy Sunday, happy Sabbath. Yeah. It's almost exactly. That's um, every. Your Sunday. parents don't live in Cedar city, Utah, do they? No. Okay. <laughs> nope. Idaho. They're in Idaho. I thought maybe it was a Cedar City thing or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, tell me, you have five sons. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. I've told Christy before. I always think it's such a compliment um, wow. when I meet a woman who has five sons just because my sons really put me through the ringer. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I always think, you know, that's a big job to have five sons, but you know, I have daughters are tricky too, but yes, yeah, sons can be pretty intense. And so I just, uh, I just love, love my sons and boys. In fact, I just thought, I think I could have all sons at one time, but I have two daughters, but like, tell me a little bit about having five sons. What's that like? Oh, wow. Um, a, a lot of sports uh, and, um, and and a lot of interesting things. We have this kind of joke, and, and yeah, I told you I've been in, worked with young men forever. We have this kind of joke that, that the 12 and 13-year-olds are goofy. The, the 16 to 18-year-olds are all kind of becoming adults and sort of talking with their adult peers and, and don't try to engage in conversations. They start to become polite and things like that. But the 14 and 15 year olds are just checked out of reality for, for a couple of years. They're just kind of gone somewhere. And, um, and, and we've got a fourth one. I mean, fifth one now that we, we, uh, we talk to and we kind of joke around about as a family because it's kind of the family joke, but I'll just look at him and say, okay, I know you're not in reality right now anyway. And, and he'll look at dad, you know, type of thing. So it, but it's just a busy time. It's a time that you're, I mean, I don't know how Christy does it, honestly. I mean, I look at it and people say, gosh, you go to work. He just, I was like, yeah, but she works unless she's asleep. And when she's sleeping, she's working with them. I mean, she's just constant because they constantly have needs. I mean, we kind of limited people to one sport at a time because there's just so much you can do, but they need outdoor activities. I mean, boys need to go outside. They need to get that physical activity and, and that energy out. And, and so you're constantly working through things like that. They're, they're rough and they're tough and they're, they're competitive and they're hungry all the time. And, and, and they get tired, don't want to go to sleep, but they're still tired. And they need to go to sleep and, and they're all that. And yet they can be an emotional, most tender person you've ever met at times. And you're like, where did that come from? You know, and they're just kind of back and forth. And it's just kind of this constant thing of that. And they will, one, I have a friend who's a psychologist and he tells us about how the, how young people's prefrontal cortex doesn't work properly. And so their parents have to, have to make judgment calls for them and things like that. Something I'm sure for another podcast, but some with somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. But we, we kind of joke around about those things and, and yet we, it kind of creates this relationship. And I just like, I'm saying, look, I have to be your prefrontal cortex right now. You just got to let me think for you because you're not thinking very well right this minute. 
and yet you want you want them to grow up and they've got to have their agency and they've got to start maturing and making their own choices and you have to figure out kind of on that continuum from when they're young and they really can't decide anything for themselves to as they get older they have to decide everything for themselves and it just doesn't happen overnight and so it's this kind of art form that I don't guess is unique to boys but you have to have to do that and you have to do it individually because even though they kind of all go through the same weird phases they come here very different people I mean they are very unique individuals and everyone's got their own needs and what works for the first two just doesn't work for the third one and then you may go back to what you did for the second one or the fourth one or maybe you have to do something completely different and they're just all different and they have to be encouraged in different ways and they have different strengths and different weaknesses and different different insecurities and different confidences and i don't know if i'm answering the question or not but i'm talking about boys <laughs> yeah i love it that was perfect what are the age span of your five boys so 26 24 21 18 and 14 did i say that right mm-hmm. look at that i got it right <laughs> wow and and i i know you have one of your boys who's been involved in our sense of healing program and um, I tell us a little bit about just his journey, because uh, I know all your boys are incredible, but I have a testimony that, I mean, I've met hundreds of these warriors in the Sense of Healing program, and not one of them have I not gone away feeling like that boy who is now more like a man than a lot of men I know. Uh, is here for a reason. And it has something to do with what Christ has called him to do for a lot of other people. But I just feel like so honored to know all of these people, all these young men. And I've been so inspired to watch them. And so I have no doubt that your boys are all like that. But tell me a little bit about um, which one of your sons... um, came to find that our services at life-changing services so and 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 i know this is you asking me questions but but christine needs to jump in here too because she's sitting here next to me and if she wants to if she feels like there's something she needs to say that i'm missing she she is what completes me anyway and so this would be a really good time for her to complete me if i'm if i'm missing something um but i think in order to best answer the question because i'm trying to think i i kind of feel Karen, like I'm, I'm kind of thinking there may be some dads listening and I hope they are. Um, and if not, if there's moms or kids or anybody else listening to this and you know, maybe this is the time you want to go grab your husband or your dad or whatever and say, Hey, he's fixing to say something that dads need to hear. Um, I'm going to back up just for a second from your question. Cause you asked about our son that's in the, that's been in the program um, and, and what involvement our families had there. And, and, and that's phenomenal. I just, I'll start with that, but I want to back up and tell you something about me that I think is really, really important um, because it's something I didn't understand how to do that Christy did understand how to do. But as we had some family things that we went through with our entire family, I had opportunities to outside of the, the any church related programs to, to meet with, to talk to friends who were professional counselors or to meet with counselors, both for myself or for our family as a group on occasion at different times. And one of the things that I learned I told you before my parents were teachers. I didn't tell you is my dad's a professor of communication and my mother's an English teacher. Okay. So those are both communication professionals um, teaching the whole world how to communicate with people. And 
I, I can talk a blue streak, but I couldn't communicate very well with my family at all. Is that fair <laughs> to say that? Yeah. When I say that, um, boys tend to pattern their dad as they grow up. And so if it wasn't something I talked about, it wasn't something they talked about. And so we just didn't talk about a lot of things that really were important things to talk about. Now, the, the, uh, the warriors and the sons of Helaman are all fighting a battle, as we know, against various forms of Satan's him with pornography and, and things like that. And we got that. And my dad, this is something we did communicate about. Um, when I was a kid, I remember one thing he taught me about that. And it stuck with me all these years. He said, he said, it's the one place that we grow the closest as a family, as a couple in the way families are created. And it's the one place that Satan hits us the hardest. And I remember that. Okay. What I didn't realize, and Christy had to help me learn this, Christy and several other people, and I'm still trying to learn it. What I didn't realize was just how important open communication was in squashing the shame and secrecy that Satan likes to use to just make a mess out of that part of our life. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Keep going. You're doing so good. Okay. So that was something I had to learn. I don't, I know that men in general have our own stereotypes, but I think regionally we have stereotypes also because our culture is a certain way. And, you know, in the South, we're kind of tough guys and we hunt and we fish and, Luke Bryan would say we're hunting and fishing and loving every day. And, and that's, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, we love the place that we are here. We really love the outdoors. I have good friends in Utah that love the outdoors. Okay. But with, with the Southern man comes a kind of a tough exterior, regardless of how soft you are on the inside, you got to be tough. And, and it's, I, and, it, and my wife's sitting over here, Christy's saying, she can say it out loud. She has a whisper to me. She's saying it's not just Southern, that it's men in a lot of places. And if you're too emotional or you're too open or you're too vulnerable, then you must not be very manly. And, and what I've learned is that that's just not the case. In fact, I've learned that if I want to be a real dad and I've learned that if I want to be really the manly man, if you want to call it that, that I've got to be willing to be more open regardless of how uncomfortable that makes me. And, um, and there's been times I was real uncomfortable at the dinner table. I'll just tell you, but, but I'll tell you that, there were also times, and without going into all the stories here, we had a son return from a mission at the end of his two-year mission, and we're sitting at the dinner table, and he's sitting there, and we started a conversation about something where sex and sexuality came up in the conversation, and we're talking. A couple of the boys are a little uncomfortable, but not too bad. They were talking about whatever the topic was with us, and they're answering our questions. Probably wouldn't have brought the topic up themselves, but Christy brought it up, and we're talking about this. And about five minutes of the conversation, you get one of those lulls where it gets quiet in the conversation for a minute. And the one who had just gotten home from his mission just kind of said, well, things have changed since I left, haven't they? Because they had. We'd become much more open. And we talked a lot more about those things, about things that people erroneously won't talk about, um, either because it's an embarrassing thing, it's a shameful thing, or if you get too emotional, then it must be a non-manly thing. And so I kind of had to learn how to get more comfortable with Christy telling one of our kids as we're all standing around the kitchen and cooking dinner and she knows they're not leaving because they're hungry and the food's cooking, start asking them questions about sexual relationships and to make sure that they were on board and that things were accurate in their minds and things like that. Or asking one of them, look, we all know about lost battles around here. Okay. It is an open topic of conversation. And it took me a minute. In fact, I'm still working on it 
for me to get comfortable with the boys come in and sit down and maybe the Netflix is on and we're watching a good show together. And she just pauses and says, so how many battles you lose today? Or did you win a battle today? Or how many battles have you won in a row? Or tell me about the last battle you won. And at first I was like, really? Do you have to make, I've been working all day. I'd rather sit here and watch Netflix. Why'd you have to pause that? But it's important. It just is important. But I mean, it, but it's something. It's very respectful. It's very, um, um, it's not done out in the open. If the child doesn't want to speak about it, we don't do that. We don't embarrass that. We don't embarrass no, them. No, it's never embarrassing. We do not, no. we do not, you know, we do not shame them or embarrass them at all. We say things like, you know, we, we are just more, um, he's kind of gotten on board about uh, following my lead. Um, and I think I should, um, I shared this with a group I don't remember if it was in your group or not, Karen. I think my, it might have been, but I I think I had shared where I had said that, you know, um, we were going to, you know, the bathroom was a public place now, <laughs> not such a private place. Well, um, or, and, and we do it in a joking way, but it's, but they understand what we're saying. No, um, and, there, and there's no shaming. I mean, we're not going to shame know. somebody and, and they don't shame each other. I mean, the, the boys, there's a lot of conversation between the boys, not as much as there is between us and each one of them. But I mean, one of the older ones said to one of the younger ones one day, look, you want to make sure you don't lose any battles in the bathroom, take the door off the hinges. Trust me, you won't lose any in there. Just remove the shower curtain. Make sure you dry the floor afterwards. You know, <laughs> and he's kind of joking, but he's being open about it. And it makes it a better topic of conversation at that point. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that you you, that I've had to become comfortable with because if I want my son and we haven't gotten to your question about the sons of Elam program and the warriors yet, and we'll no. get there. But, but if I want my sons to win battles and win the war, if I want them to have healthy relationships with their spouses one day that are based on factual real life things and real relationships that are give and take in both sides of that relationship, mostly give and then receiving, I guess is probably a better word than taking. Then, then we got to be open about what's going on because Satan knows, as my dad told me all those years ago, that the best place for him to mess us up is right there at the heart of where that intimacy makes a husband and wife or mother and father closest and where that family's created, because if he can muck that up, he can mess up everything else. And, and so we gotta be open. It's just tough. And you just gotta, okay, for lack of a better word, you gotta man up and just do it. I mean, so it's what you gotta do. And so. What's something you've noticed, like when that's changed about you, like even when your wife isn't near you or um, parenting yeah. with you, but because of what you've worked on for yourself, what have you noticed about you? Um, just like, say Christy went out of town for a trip, but it's just you and the boys. Um, do you go there? And how do you do that? Like, what have you noticed? Just you. So, so I have to be honest completely, right? <laughs> um, all right. So the only thing I can think of that just comes to mind and I, you know, it's, it's true. I mean, this is, this is real. It's true. Um, she might say to me, if she was out of town, I'm probably quoting her actually. She might say on the telephone, she might say, so have you asked, uh, have you asked anybody any lost battles today? 
and I'll say, I'm going to get to it. And she'll, she'll just kind of, I hear her rolling her eyes at me on the other end of the phone. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And, and so I'll do it, but I may do it without her asking me, but I do it because in my mind, she's asking me and she's checking up on me. And she said, have you checked up on him today? Have you asked him? Have you been involved in his life? And it's not, and I, and I get it. It's not that I'm over there policing him, hovering over him. I'm on the same team with him. In fact, one of our sons, Christy, just said, look, let me make this real easy for you. I'm going to hit you in the arm every day to show you how much I love you and how much I want to fight this thing. I'm going to hit you as hard as I want to hit that thing. Now, she can't hurt him. He's a, I don't care how hard she hits him. He's going, he would laugh at her. But, but it's that fight. And, and so it's okay that she's reminding me in my mind, even though, even though she's not right there, or if she's on the phone, she's, she's reminding me. Because it reminds me to just go ask. And I'm not great at it, but I do think about it all the time, um, a lot more than before. I am a, the war has a different perspective for me than it does for her because I'm a father and she's a mother. And I probably think about a lot of things that she doesn't think about. And it may bother her if I ask her about those or may not. But, um, but I still know where I need to be stronger. And so, yeah, I mean, do I ask the questions? Yes, I go there. Do I go there? Sure, I go there. And am I better at going there when she's here with me? Yeah, probably am. But there's also sometimes it's easier when she's not with me because, you know, I'm, you know, so it's, but I go there. <laughs> I go there. We get, I go there probably more than the boys want me to go there. Although I don't know, they're not too bad about it anymore. I think the youngest one doesn't like us going there still. He's still trying to stop it from being weird, but he also, he doesn't like it if I kiss her in front of him. So, I mean, you know. That's awesome. All right. Well, what has, what have you noticed with five boys with the struggle um, to just sexual self-mastery? Because, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an absolute fact with boys, unless my experience betrays me, that they're going to go through some battles with some sexual self-mastery. And I know girls do too. I knew, I know men and women struggle, but I mean, just because we're focused on interviewing you, you're a father of a boy in the Sons of Healing program, but before we go there, but just what have you noticed? Like how intense is that battle? And really, what about parents? What could you tell parents about the reality of that battle and how, because you're so right. So many families aren't talking about it, even though it exists. They talk about it because something came up and scared everybody. So we all talked about it. And then it goes away and we stop talking about it for a long time. Um, I can't tell you how many parents I know. That's their story. We, we said everything that was right. We read all the books. We had all the talks about how we don't you know, look at pornography and we, we don't masturbate and, and okay, be sure to come talk to us if you see that, that kind of thing. And then um, it comes up and everybody's like, oh, wow, okay, you know, working it out, talking about it. And then the parents think, I thought we were good. I thought we were good. And then two years later, six months later, a whole year later, five years later, they recognize we're struggling with an addiction and it was completely under the radar. Can I say something real quick? Yeah, you can, because I got like a thousand thoughts, so go ahead. So that's, I, that's kind of our story. I mean, we knew that our son was struggling at 12 years old. 
-hmm. We didn't know the extent of his struggle. We also didn't have the tools and the ability to help him fight um, because this was several years ago because it was kind of something that you just didn't know how to address and talk about. And most men, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, most men had kind of already walked that path when they were younger. Some of them had seen magazines and some of them had, you know, masturbated before and things like that. But um, this was a new age. Um, and when we later, later have hours, I, I, I equate that literally to World War II when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Um, we knew that war was going on around us. And we knew that there were struggles across different lands. We were not a part of the struggle, but we were aware of the struggle. But when we got we hit... We were a part of the struggle. We just didn't know we were part of the struggle the way we were. When we got hit, right, when we got hit and it destroyed half of well, the entire Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, um, now we're engaged. But now we're, we're a little behind, so we've got to catch up. And so that's kind of where we were, and I'll stop talking. But no, you're doing great. Keep up. Um, but that's kind of where we were with the situation with our own family and our own son. Um, and he just thought, well, this is go away. This is something that will just fix itself. Um, but when you have devices in your hands, like I said, that has never happened before in the history of the world, um, now we're now we're in different playing field. Now we're in, now we're kind of in a different war and we're going to have to figure out what that war looks like in our family and how to help our kids and others. But we didn't understand the extent. And so because of that, I think that we will be blessed. I think that my son will be blessed um, because of his efforts. But because of that, an atomic bomb went off in our home. And, and there were some legal implications that happened. And we are both passionate about that not happening again if we can share um, personal things that we would love to share offline with someone who would love to contact us or speak about those things more specific but um, Stan had been the bishop before he's been in the state presidency before he has seen a lot of things in the church but this one particular thing was something that every that people everywhere were trying to figure out how to grab their weapon and fight in the middle of being completely wounded. Amen. I couldn't agree with you more. That's exactly the way I felt. I've, I thought, we've been ambushed. We just ambushed. That's what I thought. Like, we didn't even know what was coming. And didn't see that? Yeah. No, it's, you're right. You're right. You know, you, I, I said, when Christy started talking there, I said, I've got a thousand thoughts. I, I, honestly, the, the questions you just asked, we could probably separate into five separate podcasts, one for each topic area there, I think easily. Um, and, and there's a lot of stuff there. I think that, um, so, so let's get back kind of where you, where the, the crux of what you asked there. Cause I want to make sure I kind of address that part. Um, and then we can go wherever you want to from there. Um, you asked specifically about the struggles and, and as a dad seeing that and seeing those things. And, and you talked about, that we didn't talk and we did talk and we didn't talk about them. And, and I think that there's two different groups of, of not talking. Um, I think we can split the people that don't talk into two different groups. And, and, and I'm not saying that we're people that talk about everything because we're still learning how to talk better. 
we just learned a little bit more than we ever thought we were going to, and we're still trying to figure that out. But I think there's two reasons or two groups. One is the group that just doesn't talk because they figure it's going to go away or they figure it's part of life or they figure whatever, they'll just be boys will be boys or girls will be girls or whatever. That, that's one group. And the other group is we don't talk about it because it's shameful and it's this, um, what is it that Mark always says? He calls it some word and I can't remember what it is, but it's this kind of puritanical perception of perfection that you, that this old culture religion, it's not just our church. It, it's kind of the whole Christian religion and maybe some others as well. I'm not sure. It's this kind of culture of this is a taboo subject. We just don't talk about it. Um, it is something that a, that a man and a woman have after they get married inside of closed doors and nobody knows anything about how that works. And it's just kind of black box magic thing. And I think those are kind of the two areas we'll talk about. And, and, and we call ourselves, I think as church members, especially we were taught that we need to teach our children about sexual relations, but specifically we were taught they need to stay sexually clean. We're taught things, and I'm talking about not now. I think the church is changing its perspective a lot, and I think that's a great thing. Um, but we were taught for years, we were taught, okay, first of all, um, young women were taught, you want to marry a return missionary who's never had any sort of sexual problems in his life. Young men were taught the same thing, okay? Well, where does that leave everybody else? Okay, with a big label on their forehead that says, you're not worthy. Okay, that's just wrong. That's just not right. But that kind of culture and 50 other things that go into that created an environment where as families, we would sit down and we'd get whatever book the church to publish, which didn't, or some good person in the church or outside the church wrote a great book that maybe helped you teach your kids about sex. And so we'd sit down and we'd read the little book and we'd show them the little pictures and we'd read a few other things and we'd have the talk quote with them because all the kids grew up talking about, have your parents had the talk with you yet? I don't know. What talk are you talking about? Well, my parents had the talk with me, you know? And so you had this talk when you're nine, 10, 12, 13, whenever your parents had the talk with you about the birds and the bees, as they always said. And that was it. That's kind of where the conversation stopped. And maybe you had it a couple other times in your life and any family that talked about it more than that was weird. They were just strange or obsessed or, or whatever. And so we kind of created this culture of that's a shameful thing. Don't talk about it. You shouldn't even think those things. You shouldn't even have those thoughts. And we kind of misinterpret some scriptures there. And we say, by the way, 14 year old, if you look at that girl and you think she's really, she's really, really pretty and you might have a sexual thought, well, you've, you've already committed fornication in your heart with, her, okay. And, and we misinterpreted scripture in those cases. Um, and we created this, this culture, which made it very difficult for young men to grow up and talk with somebody when they had a problem. Well, we, yeah, I was just going to say, especially when our world turned into this um, unstoppable, hyper-sexualized place, especially if they go anywhere on a, in a virtual realm, right? Anywhere sure. online with a screen. Like, that, what you just described, is a surefire way to just obliterate so many people and their ability be, to be successful in this culture where we have, you know, so much of our lives are now online. And, yeah. That, that's right. And that's exactly where I was going to go. The, we can look back through history and see, 
sex isn't something new and, and, and obsession with sex by whole groups of people is not something new, but the information age, internet and social media to instantly get information to so many people at one time or the reverse of that for any person to instantly get any piece of information that they want. That is new. That's a very, very new thing in history. In fact, it's so new that our children today, the children of today, and I would say children from mid twenties down. So you got young adults in that group also down to teenagers. And then of course all the younger children, that's the first group to ever live through that, which means we're the first set of parents to ever parent through that. I know you and Christy have talked about that before. And so as you do that, where, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you were exposed to pornography because the guy down the street stole a magazine out of his dad's bathroom and it was hidden in the woods or whatever. And you, you, the, the neighborhood boys would sneak down there and some of them didn't want to look at it or didn't know what it was. And then somebody would show it to them anyway. And so, but I mean, that was kind of it. You'd, you know, it was gone for a while, except, you know, maybe you'd saw it again and some, somebody went looking for it. It was very different, um, a very different time. Now, um, and there may have been lots of people with addictive personalities then that just didn't have as much or as easy access as, they, as people do now. We have five sons. They all have very healthy sexual drives. They all are very interested in having relationships with people. They're all interested in, in girls and they're interested in that relationship at some point, getting married. And certainly they're interested in sex and, and where that's going to be for them one day. And that's great. That, that's exactly where it needs to be. Um, they respond differently. Every one of our sons at some point has been exposed to pornography for the first time. It's not because we took it and said, here, you need to be exposed to this because it's going to happen anyway. We didn't do it that way, nor would we ever. Um, it's because of whatever reason they got exposed. Maybe it was at school, maybe it was at a friend's house, maybe it was somewhere. Each one of them has responded differently to that exposure. Now the secrecy comes out immediately and they start trying to hide things. So they all react differently. Some of them, would react by being in a situation where they would get caught or discovered or whatever, and they'd get really embarrassed about it and you have a conversation with it. And then maybe they don't really go back and look at that a whole lot. And maybe they don't have much problem with it, but maybe they do it again at some point to think they're not going to do it more than once is just naive. I mean, they're, they're going to look again. It's going to happen. Um, some of them, almost immediately begin to struggle trying to not do it. And Christy did one of the most wonderful things that ever I saw. Um, and, and it opened the door for much more of a communication. But before we got more comfortable with the communication the way it is so that the boys could come talk. And I'll just tell you right out of the gate, they want to talk to her when they're struggling and they want help. They want to come to her because that's where the comfort zone is, is to come to her and say, I'm struggling, mom. I'm having a problem. I lost a battle, whatever it is. Okay. It's and, and that's fine. That's the way the relationship works. And I'm trying to get better at that. So they want to come to me too. But right now they come to her and they're coming to somebody and that's good. But, but that she, with one of our boys, one time he was struggling and we figured out he was struggling and she said, okay, look, I get it. Coming and talking to me is just too hard. So here's what we're going to do. This is going to be the sign. If you need to talk to me and you need me to come ask you about it, 
I want you to leave this thing in some place. I can't remember what it was. It was a card they left turned a certain way or something like that. It was just something. It doesn't matter what it was. It could be. A it, was a, it was pieces of construction paper that I had cut up in squares. And I left them by his table in his bedroom. Yeah. And it wasn't, um, I wasn't necessarily worried about him struggling in an addictive way. But I'd also been through it with my oldest son. So we're not going, we're going to do everything that we can. So what happened was, if I found a piece of paper, that particular piece of construction paper with a particular color left on my pillow or by my bed, that was a sign that I needed to come find him and ask him questions. And it took away his, his, his uncomfortableness or whatever you say to not want, not know how to address it, but want to talk to me. So that was, um, that was a way we instantly connected. And, um, and I said, okay, well, how are you? What happened today? How was school? I just kind of had to, and he was younger. He didn't know how to express himself as well, and most boys don't. And so that was a way that I was able to communicate with him on the, in the way he needed me to do. That was a, something that I received. You know, it's like a little personal revelation just for me and my my relationship with him um but it worked and um and since then there are many nights many 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 nights when they're all home that our bed is full of boys coming in one at a time laying on the bed and letting me ask questions so that they can answer even at the older um but it's established a pattern of um it's established a pattern of open communication. And it's not just and it's not just coming in with them on the bed and her asking them questions. It's also established communication on a lot of other fronts. I mean, just to come in and talk. Now, granted, it's sometimes a harder way to parent because at 1130 at night, when you're getting up the next morning at 5 a.m., the last thing you want is somebody to come talk for two hours. And, yes, I'm guilty. I pass out and fall asleep while they're in the middle of talking. Okay, I, I, I confess. But – but I don't always, just most of the time. But It's just a safe place. It is a safe place. It's created this safe place. It's created an open environment. It's created open communication. I think back to the boy thing, but 98% or something like that, 98, 99% at some point are exposed to pornography. That's a high enough statistic that it's probably 100%, but they just have to say 99% because somebody somewhere maybe didn't. But it's, um, they're going to get exposed. They're going to get exposed more than once. When you find out they're struggling, and the secrecy starts to show itself or the shame starts to show itself. It, it's happened more. It just has, it just hasn't been talked about. Yes. You're popping your bubble right then. Yes. You feel like you're a bad parent. Maybe yes. You're asking yourself all the questions. What did I do wrong? Honestly, you, you know what, if they've got a healthy sexual drive, you're not doing anything wrong. You probably did something right now. Help them win the battle against Satan. It's not going to be over tomorrow. The success is not, okay, we're going to knock this thing out for 30 days and, and then you're going to be good for the next 10 years. That's not the way it works. This is a battle Satan is not going to quit. So why, why do we think we're going to have to quit? It's just not going to work that way. And they're going to transition. Um, we're going to, they're going to transition to marriage at some point. And when they transition to marriage, they need to be able to transition to a healthy relationship in that marriage. And that open communication, the fighting those battles, because you're not fighting all of the desires, you're fighting the battles that are legitimate battles against Satan. I mean, you're not saying, 
hey, uh, you shouldn't look at girls, they're not attractive. Just think they're not attractive. That's not what's the point. The point is to fight the actual battles where Satan's attacking them and not fight and to openly talk about the other things in a positive way. And, and that's, where it, that's where it really needs to go. And that's what you have to do with boys. I mean, and I, I assume girls too. I can't speak to girls. I don't have any. But, um, but I would think that open communication would be healthy with all children and, and with all adults too. Absolutely. That is so awesome. Tell us a little bit about your boy's story that started at 12. And um, Yeah, we're going to do this one together, okay? So I don't mess anything up. Go ahead. You start. Okay, so we found out there was a problem. He got exposed to it at a family member's home, a cousin. And um, we knew um, at the time, I think he was the bishop. I was the bishop. Um, which might have made it a little harder for him to come and talk more openly about it. Um, I, would, I would say it made it really hard. So take the culture we talked about earlier, because we were still in that whole culture of nobody's talking about anything back then. Very shameful culture. This is a long time ago. And yeah. uh, change, was, lots changed in the church. This was more than this a decade is about, ago. This was, yeah, this was probably around 15 years ago, 14 yeah. years ago. So, I mean, you're, I mean, we had a very different culture in the church well, then. Families were kind of different. And the, this whole topic and the beginning of the beginning of this atomic bomb was just now manifesting itself right so go ahead um and so um and so we on and off on and off we were talking we had communicated we even took him to a therapist and had trying to figure out what was wrong with school and we asked him if he had ever you know um been exposed to things and he said yes and we went so far as to ask him questions if, you know, um, uh, has, has anyone done anything appropriate to you? We just inappropriate, know, yeah, right. inappropriate. We just noticed that there was something going on that was affecting his spirit. And I could see it. And um, You can even see it in the family pictures. Yeah. When we look back, we see family pictures and you can see it there too. Yeah. Um, anyway, that went on and off. It went on and off for quite a while. And some of the things that we didn't realize is that there was a TV upstairs that he had access to that we didn't know through the um, Dish Network access to um, an HBO that we didn't subscribe to, but that they had put on there for free, right? These free channels they want to get you. Well, we didn't know that was going on. So there were some things that we just, that were kept hidden and kept secret for uh, quite a while. In that me in the meantime, an amazing kid, an amazing brother, um, active member of the church, um, loved serving, um, was very smart. Um, and just really, truly, I'm not just saying this because he's my son, but really a, a true Nephi. I mean, an amazing, obedient, um, we were blessed to not have the, um, he was never defiant. He was never uh, disrespectful and hateful towards us. So I, I, um, there were times looking back that I think, well, that little brat, you know, <laughs> you little stinker. You just, you can't speak to me that way, but I'm kind of feisty. And so. And that's kind of, I mean, that's just kids being kids. That really is just kids being kids. I mean, right. there's all these little things you deal with. But how do you. Those, but, but I mean, you look at the, you look at the big things and, and you look at the pattern of overall, I mean. Yeah. You know, there's not many times that you've got a, a 15, 16 year old around and some perpetrator breaks into your home, which really happened with us. They kind of came in, but the, 
but he knew them. And so they really didn't have to break in, but they were running from the police. And his first objective was, okay, where is that person going? But I need to get back out in the backyard and make sure none of the kids come in the house. And he's just make sure nobody comes in to make sure they're all safe. I mean, that, that, that's the kind of, being vague. that's the kind of person you're thinking of. I mean, he's, he's watching out for the <laughs> other kids. Yeah. I'm being vague because I don't want to talk about the person that right. broke into the house. But right. At any rate, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, but his first thought was here's this person in our house and I need to get to the backyard and make sure the kids are all okay. And yeah. they're not getting home. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of, yeah. Young man and he still about. is that way. He still, still is that way. Still so is. this went on for several years. We didn't know it. Are you saying this went on just like, this feeling that we had there's something going on we can't quite put our finger on it we don't quite know what it is that's what's going on is that what you meant yes okay. yes that's what's going on yes. we don't exactly know what it is yes right? but we and and we didn't know how to i didn't i didn't know that the that the, that the pornography was continuing and up and down it, it, it wasn't it wasn't it would be a few weeks and we we found that out later during therapy it would be a few weeks and it would stop It'd be a few weeks and it would stop. So he thought he was doing a good thing, you know, trying to manage it, but he wasn't, um, obviously. Um, but then we got a phone call several right after he turned 18, like within a few weeks, actually, um, from um, the local authorities. And they said that there was an allegation that had happened um, and it was looked into. Um, anyway, there were some legal implications that had happened from him acting out on some things. Um, and, um, that is when my world stopped and, um, and he didn't understand the implications of what were, what, what was happening or what was about to happen. But he, um, but he, when this happened, he was actually in the kitchen with me making cupcakes for his brother's birthday. I mean, he was home from school. He was just, I mean, really, I mean, just a great kid. And so, um, and since then, we've, since then we've had to navigate some things that have been real difficult for our family. But, um, but that, that opened a, that moment in our life launched us into this kind of pursuit of, okay, first of all, where is the battle? Where the heck is this thing? Because we just got hit with something we didn't even know was there. And what is it? And, and you kind of, and then, and then how do you beat this thing? And um, some, some very, very smart professionals in the counseling area, some friends, and then some people we dealt with professionally at the same time uh, helped us learn about not just addictions, but pornography addictions and what those are and, and what acting out is and what communication means. And, I learned more about myself than I ever thought I wanted to know about myself through some of those sessions. And, and I continue to, to you, it's like a, um, it's like anytime you have a bad experience, you come through the other side of it thinking, okay, I never would choose to go through that, but my gosh, look at the stuff we've learned along the way. And you've picked all that up and, and you've learned and you start using those tools because you start to realize what the battle is. And I think, Addiction is a battle people automatically understand. You have to fight forever. But I think this whole battle that we're fighting is a battle we have to fight forever. And we don't have to be, we don't have to be dealing with an addiction to still be dealing with something where we need to fight this battle forever. Um, there are some addictions we have to deal with there too. But with that particular son, we're dealing with addiction. 
and, and he understands that and he's extremely educated about it um, and can teach other people about it. He's so smart about it now if they ask, you know. Well, he continued on just to finish out, he continued on through counseling, um, a lot of a lot of counseling. Um, he did really, really well. I mean, there were men in the group that just were singing his praises because you got this kid who is 18 years old in a room full of men who battle addictions their entire life, and they're so impressed with him. Um, and so this has continued on, and he did, he's done so well. He continues to become an amazing young man um, and, and, and blows us away with his um, ability to, to fight and become stronger. And um, we're very proud of him. And um, in the middle of all of this, which is also another time, there were times, you know, when as a mother, you're, um, I can relate to women who say they've been in the fetal position on the floor in their closet. I can relate and I understand. Um, and so um, I understand, um, I, 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 can, I understand. And, um, and some, some things um, strengthen our family, um, but the best, I would never say I'd want to go through a trial like this, but um, if I can then help in return, help others um, know that there's hope and know that there's happiness and know that there is joy and know that, that there is revelation that continues to flow. Even as today, I was speaking to one of my kids and I felt very inspired to speak in a specific way that is not something that I would say. Um, I said to them, this is not from me. I, I need for you to understand this is from Heavenly Father. So I'm able to be a little bit more in tune as long as I keep myself in a place where I can listen and receive. And um, I've been grateful for the Eternal Warriors program. I did that. I did the program. I loved it. I've done your mom power. I loved that. It was just a reiteration of what I learned in Eternal Warriors. Um, I have since then had a lot of people in our stake want information. So I've been a liaison and a, and a, and a very much someone who's pushing um, support groups and help for women and families. Um, and we'll continue to do so. We've, um, as we went through that, and I told you the things we learned and we continue to learn necessary for communication. I mean, we got forced into that situation where we had to open the communication. I probably got forced as much as anybody because Christy opened it immediately. And she always had been open in communication and I needed to be more open. And so we've done that. But it also made it the point where as the other boys were coming along, so, so first of all, you're a little less naive at that point, and you see things more quickly. But the other thing is we also were a whole lot more apt to be able to pick right up and say, you know what, let's go spend a little time visiting this counselor. Or you know what, there's this great program called the Sons of Helaman, and you know, let's talk about that. Let's see if that's something you'd like to do. And, um, and so you get another one in it and, and involved in that. And it's, you start learning what your resources are and you start using those resources because you realize you don't have to fight this battle by yourself. But I think that the thing that's been the most frustrating to me as a father and as a husband, as I've watched, because we do have people come to both of us. She has a lot more come to her than me, but we had a great opportunity to meet with a couple where a husband was struggling. And I mean, he just jumped in hook, line and sinker. Cause I looked at him one night sitting there across the room from me and his wife. And their youngest was their little toddler was there. I looked at him and I said, 
you need to decide how important this is to you because if you don't decide how important it is to you, you're going to lose her and all of them. And, um, and I'm not trying to be ugly, just it's going to happen. And he jumped in hook, line, and sinker. He went to Metamoroni. He has done awesome and just done a, just done a great thing. But, but there's so many husbands and fathers that just either blow it off or won't engage or think it's not a big deal. And if, if anybody hears this podcast and one dad, husband, father, whatever out there, just one person just understands, you know what? If I think we don't need some outside help, we probably do. So we better go get some, go get some, go get some help and, and just go ask. And because you don't have to figure this out from scratch. We've got people now that know the answers. There's professional people out there that do this for a living and they're very good at it. And, um, you know, it's just, that's where it needs to go. And that's, we need more people being open in their families and talking about it. Chrissy's pointing at me and she's right. We, we need more, we need more husbands, more fathers, more. It's rare. It's rare that you see a mom that's not engaged. I mean, moms are so engaged in their kids and it's just what they do. I mean, I told you, she completes me. It's really, she is like the whole picture. I'm just kind of a little salt and pepper on the side is all I really am. You know, it's, she's the big picture, but it's, but we need the men to engage fully. Well, I'm, I'm hearing you say, really, you're telling everybody, just consider how important it is to do a lot more than you think you're doing. Consider how important it is to get a lot more engaged than you think you need to. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Get more engaged. If, if, if you can't get more engaged, just don't be closed to the idea of being engaged. At least be open. Yeah. And, and don't say no, or don't say it's not a big deal, or don't say, I'm not going to counseling, or just, just at least be open. If you, can't, if you can't do anything moving forward, just at least don't be moving backwards. Or just refusing to move. Or just refusing to move at all, right, yeah. Totally. I mean, and also, I heard you say, um, don't wait till it gets really bad. There are resources and answers out there. Go find them before you think you need them. Don't wait till it's so obvious that you need them. Yeah, and I think that you, I'm, I'm going to restate what I think you just said, what, what I know you just said, um, because really bad is somebody's perspective. And so trying to figure out what's really bad is somebody's perspective. So I think the key thing you said was go before you think you need them. What I've seen, what we've seen is that everybody who gets to the point where they go needed them a lot sooner than that. And they, they just didn't know that they needed them sooner because they don't have the perspective or the knowledge to know. Just go, just go and get some help. At least do an intake. Yeah. I mean, the intake will tell you. And it's a simple thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Uh, okay, Stan. I just have one more question for you. Well, I have a lot more questions for you, but we are out of time. What? Uh, like, what is it about your son and your sons that inspire you? Oh, my gosh. Do we have two days? <laughs> it is just their tenacity, their attitude, their willingness to work hard. There is one group of people that I would, if somebody said, you've got to go do this really hard job and you can do you can pick 
any team you want, but you can only pick one team. That's it. Pick them one time. I would pick my sons because I know that no matter what we go do, they will dig in 110% and they will give it everything they've got and we will work together till we're finished. What inspires me about them is their just willingness to just dig in as a team together, as a family, and work through whatever hurricane cleanup, tornado cleanup, yard project, family atomic bomb going off, or anything else might ever hit us. They will get together and work through it together. That inspires me about them. Thank you so much, Stan, for for doing this interview with us. Thank you for your for your warrior heart, for your willingness to to grow, and your willingness to be such a great strength to your family. Such a good example. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks for having me on here. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, you're welcome. The pleasure is all ours, and we are so appreciative.